You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. As we get into the word of the Lord tonight, amen. How many love the word of God? Amen. Amen. Love the word of God so much and so thankful for God's presence, God's spirit that's here tonight. We are looking at uh, this series here, and it takes place in Romans chapter 12 through chapter 16. So this is a topical series that we've been going through. This is part four. The last time that we did this installment, we were uh, online only. So I think it was a couple weeks ago we had to go online only. And so we taught this Uh, just uh, right here, and everybody was at home watching. So I hope that you caught that. I hope that you paid attention. If you didn't, uh, the good news now is it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook. You can go back to it. So I'd encourage you to go back to YouTube and uh, rewind, if you will. Go back and jump in. We finished with point 16. Now, this is uh, a 22-point series, and it's a topical series on the last part of the book of Romans, which is one of the Apostle Paul's most significant epistles ever written. And uh, it's, it's the longest one in length of material. And he writes this from Corinth while he's ministering to the church in the city of Corinth. Such an incredible, great revival takes place. And he is breaking all kinds of barriers, if you will, all kinds of cultural barriers. He's seeing revival take place in a setting where it is not expected. In fact, when Paul writes this epistle to the Romans, he's at Corinth. And if you'll remember correctly, in the book of Acts, it tells us that Paul goes to the city of Corinth. And as he walks through there, Paul looks at the people, he looks at the place, and he says, this is so bad that, that in essence, he says, God can't have a church here. And God rebukes him and reminds him and comes to him twice, once in a dream, another time in a vision, and says, Paul, I have much people in this city. And he, he reminds him that nothing is impossible with the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Sister Chandra, for leading us in worship tonight. As we're singing, we're singing about the grace and the mercy of God. And my mind went back to my devotion this morning. I was reading in Deuteronomy, and I I think, I I can't remember what chapter it is. Um, It may have been the first chapter. I I don't think that's right. But uh, the book pretty much starts out and says that God's intent, or it lets us know that from Mount Sinai, from the place when God brings them out of Egypt into the wilderness, and he gives them the law, and he begins to speak to them. It says, from Mount Sinai to the entrance at the promised land is only an 11-day journey. And then in the very next verse, it says, but, and I'm paraphrasing, and it says, but 40 years later, in essence, they finally made it. So it starts out, and it says, now it's only an 11-day journey, But 40 years later, they actually made it to this point. And and immediately I saw that and I thought, this, this, this thought came to me that for them, God's will was only 11 days. That was God's will for them. They missed the will of God by quite a bit. They, they fell short of that by a long stretch. God's will was 11 days, but God's long suffering was 40 years. Come on, anybody thankful for God's long suffering? Have you ever missed the will of God in your life? Amen. Well, if that's you, I'm here. I've got good news for you. You haven't missed the grace of God. You haven't missed the long suffering of God. You haven't missed the blessing of the Lord. Amen. God, God's will may not have been accomplished, but his promise, amen, is still for you. And this is what Paul learned at, at ministry in Corinth when he comes and says, God can't even start a church here. God, there, there's nobody here. There's no way we can 
have revival here. And God says, oh no, Paul, I have much people in this city. And Paul stayed and he saw an incredible revival. A year and a half he was working there and there was an incredible, absolute phenomenal revival. And it's while he's here that he's burdened for this church in Rome, this church that he's never gone to, no apostle has ever visited, but, but uh, uh, disciples and, and those that come from the day of Pentecost have traveled back to Rome and, and there there's an, a church that's established, but now they're in an interesting situation, much like Corinth. It's a cultural uh, hub and it's diverse in many ways, but it is so, uh, how, how could I say, if, if you walk through Rome, you'd probably think the same thing. God can't have a church here. But Paul couldn't say that because before he ever visited there, before he ever got there, he found out that there was a church there. I'm going to tell you, they may have said, God can't put a church in Waterloo, but I'm here to tell you tonight, there's a church in Waterloo. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You know why? Because God has much people. Come on, anybody believe that with me? God has much people. That's why you can't give up, amen, on our culture and our world, because God has much people in this city. And so we're coming to the epistle of Rome, and here Paul talks about justification by faith. He talks about uh, uh, being saved by faith. He talks about works of righteousness. He talks about all of these different things. And it's so, it's so theological, his defense. It's apologetic in its nature. And he's talking about doctrine, and he's talking about certain things that have to be. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God into salvation. And as he's laying all these things and all these grounds works, later on in the epistle, he begins to deal with human relationships. And he begins to deal with inner workings of people within the church. Because the reality is, is that there were great problems. The context for this study is that there were big disputes over things and there were divisions and there were problems and there were issues and there was confusion. Can I tell you, God is not the author of confusion. If there's anything that is, that is a marking characteristic of our day today, it is confusion. Let us be reminded, God is not the author of confusion. And so Paul speaks, he speaks clarity, he speaks things to them, to the church. And, and there's this theme that comes out in the New Living Translation. The word is translated three times in this epistle is the word harmony, live in harmony. Let us aim for harmony. And he says, let's, let's live in complete harmony with each other. This word harmony leaps out. And so we're looking at this harmony, God's plan for community. Because we are the church and God has saved us, but we still live in, we could say this today, we could find a lot in parallel today with Rome's culture. We could find a lot in, 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 in the morals, in the, the attitudes, in the pagan, in the, in the uh, uh, just, just the culture, the, the sexuality, all of the pleasure seeking of that day. We could find a lot of things that would identify. And yet Paul not only speaks about being the church and about being strong, and he, and he talks about that, but he addresses how we are to live in community. And he even dares use the word peace, peace, peace. I'm here to tell you that you can live in peace. We can live in peace. Nobody can take that from you and nobody can take that from me. And I want to own that in my life. I want everything that God has for me. And we're going to look at that tonight. So I, 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 I'm setting this up a little bit more, but God's plan for community. And this is a topical study from Romans chapters 12 through 16. So Paul begins to address things. So I highlighted 22 things. So real quick, we're going to run through the first 16. That's where we let, uh, let off you or stopped. You will not be able to write these down quick enough, so don't even try. But I'm putting them on here for those listening on the podcast or joining us online or catching this later. So number one, the first thing that Paul identified, and you have the scripture reference there in your handout. The first thing is you've got to really love people. 
If you don't love people, you're not going to have harmony. And it can't just be word speak. It can't just be something that you put on. It has to be true and from the heart. You have to really love people. Number two, you have to put words with that. You have to practice help and hospitality. You have to practice that. It has to be something that is seen, that is evident. Number three, he challenges us to bless your persecutors. And if anybody's an authority on the subject, Paul had both been a persecutor and one that was persecuted. Bless your persecutors. Number four, enjoy the company of saints. You're not just putting up with them. You're actually enjoying it. It's okay to laugh there. It's okay to smile a little bit. Okay. Amen. How many are happy when you come to church? I hope you enjoy coming to church. Now, every church has got somebody crazy in it, but of course, that's not you. Come on, right? But I hope you just enjoy coming to church. Number five, don't be a know-it-all. That was really, really good advice that Paul put in there. Don't, nobody likes a know-it-all. Don't be a know-it-all. Number six, take no revenge. Don't let revenge be the motive in your life. Number seven, work to live in peace with everyone. You know what that means? Work to live in peace with everyone. I know it's really complicated. Number eight, submit to authorities. Number nine, Paul even says this, pay your taxes. It's going to help you out a little bit. Number 10, don't withhold payments. Don't go borrow a debt. Don't take a loan. Don't enter into agreement and then not keep up your end of the bargain and wonder why people can't stand you. Number 11, he says, love alone solves problems. If your heart is motivated by love, it's going to solve so many problems. You won't have to carry around a rule book when you're motivated by love. When the love of God is in you, it simplifies everything. Number 12, don't participate in darkness. Don't participate in darkness. Don't, don't be a partaker in it. Don't, don't endorse it. Don't edify. Don't, don't encourage it. Don't bring it around. Number 13, accept other believers. Don't disqualify somebody. Don't marginalize somebody else. I'm going to tell you, if you're in the church tonight, somebody in here has lived for God longer than you. Somebody in here knows more than you. Somebody hasn't lived for God as long as you. Somebody doesn't know as much as you. But don't marginalize somebody else, but accept other believers. Number 14, don't argue. Just stop it. Number 15, he says, stop condemning each other. Stop condemning each other. Number 16, and this is where we finish. Don't cause others to stumble. Don't trip others up. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't be an occasion for others to stumble. And now we come to Romans chapter 14 and verse 15. And this is where we'll pick up here on point number 17, Romans 14 and 15. Let's go there. In this chapter in Romans, Paul is addressing not only unity, but he's addressing two contentious subjects, two, two disputes that are very real for the Roman church. Now, they receive the Holy Ghost at Pentecost, and they go back to Rome, and there's a church that comes about in Rome. It's largely a Gentile church. And so these people come to God through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they do not have a Jewish context. They have not lived a Jewish lifestyle. And so there was, there was struggle and there was divisiveness that was going on. The Jews, as we know, had very strict ordinances that they lived by. It was given by God for a purpose significant in the Old Testament, largely for their health and for their blessing. They were restricted from eating certain dietary things. It was a, a mark that set them apart from all of the other nations that were around them in the Old Testament. But now we're in Rome. Now it's a new day, and there are people who are arguing in the church what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And so there were some that were saying, well, you can't eat that. It's wrong to eat that. Uh, you can't eat things that have been offered to idols. You can't eat certain things, restrictions. And of course, we know in the book of Acts, we know in chapter 
uh, 9 and 10, God deals with uh, the apostle Peter and gives him a vision. And in that vision, a, a piece of material drops down. The Lord tells him, it's all the unclean animals. And the Lord tells him, take, kill, and eat. And he says, Lord, I'm not going to eat that which is unclean. I would never defile myself. And the Lord later tells him, after this vision repeats itself multiple times, he says, do not call unclean what I have cleansed. And it was something powerful. It was, it's hard for us in our Western context today to really acknowledge or maybe really comprehend how big of a hurdle this was for the Jewish church who had been seeking to please God living by these things. And now the Lord is telling them that served a purpose, but here is my bigger purpose. He's not throwing away what he had given them, but he's saying that that purpose is fulfilled in this. And here's how it is. And so they are to go beyond. It's okay now to eat those things because it's about your conscience. It's about conscience sake, living after that. And so this argument arises in the church over what they can eat and what they cannot eat. And you have people in the church that are, imagine this, imagine this. If I can just really break it down in a 2020 language, Okay, you had people in the church in Rome that were going on Facebook saying you can eat anything. And you had other people, is this all right? You had other people going on Facebook and saying you can't do that, and if you do that, we can't be friends. Amen? Now that was a joke, folks. That was like, that was supposed to be funny there. They didn't have Facebook back then. But in essence, in their own way, they're trying to build their own thing. Now, did both groups have a conviction? Yes. Were both groups motivated by love to the Lord and honor to God? Yes, they were. And so this is where Paul steps in on the scene. This was not something that was uh, a doctrine that was skewing things, that was taking away from Jesus Christ. But both of these groups, if you will, were motivated by their love for the Lord. That was the reason why they were doing these things. One would say, no, he died for us. He made it open so that we're free to do all of these things. And one said, no, this is what's right. We have to follow after this. Another thing that Paul talks about in chapter 14, and that is this, that there was the observing of certain days, certain days held significant. Of course, we know that. We live today. Um, it's interesting today. We live by a Gregorian calendar. And that Gregorian calendar is established, was set about, obviously it has an evolution process, but largely was set in place by the Roman culture. And we're still living on this today. That Gregorian calendar uh, was a pagan calendar. If you did not know that, Monday was Moon's Day. Sunday was Sunday. I mean, these, these were denoting gods that they worshiped, and each day was set apart and relative for God. So next time somebody says you can't have a... Well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to say anything. But anytime somebody comes up and says, well, you can't do this, because if you do this, you as a Christian in the New Testament, you're just entering into pagan stuff. I'd say, well, okay, what day is it? And if they give me the Gregorian calendar, I'd say, well, if you're going to follow that, you have to follow the Jewish calendar the Lord gave because we're following. No, nobody thinks about that today, right? We don't say that. We say, come to church on Sunday. And nobody in their mind thinks, oh, we're going to church to worship the sun. Look at the pastor. Can you believe this? We're just, we're just, we're just in massive decline. Nobody thinks that. It's not in our consciousness. It's not, not how we think. Now, let me say this. If you are worshiping all of these things, then maybe you need to step away from the Gregorian calendar if that's something that's causing you trouble. And so some were observing days. Well, the Roman culture, they observed all kinds of days. Every day was another day for another God. And so they, they said every day is a day for the God. No, we're not following after that. Every day is for the Lord. And there were some that were saying, no, we have to keep the Sabbath and we have to keep the feast and we have to keep this. Their motivation on both parts was their love for God. Their motivation was to propagate the gospel of 
Jesus Christ, to honor God in their own life. But what happened was their motivations were bringing division in the church. Can I tell you, it is still possible in 2020 for people to be on opposing sides of an issue and both have the same motivation. Can I tell you, motive is everything. Motive is everything. And Paul steps in on the scenes and he does not take sides. Even though he acknowledges some things, he cautions and he says, look, we've got to honor one another and we've got to understand one another. We've got to approach it in humility. And so let me just first say right here, you may carry convictions that I don't carry, but what I'm going to celebrate in your conviction is your motivation to love the Lord. And what we ought to be able to see as mature Christians is through just the facade and to be able to understand the motive for why somebody does something and not allow that to bring divisions upon us. Those divisions can be cultural. Those can, in in many ways, this was what it was in this sense. But here Paul is giving us, he's giving us an appeal for harmony. Somebody say harmony. Harmony. We've got to go together. So now look at what he says. Now, Paul, Paul acknowledges and says, look, some esteem certain days and some say every day is under the Lord. He says both are right. Paul said both are right. He said some say, uh, he's going to say this later on, some say you can only eat certain meats and other meats. He say, uh, can, uh, others say every meat can be eaten. He says every meat is pure. He said it doesn't matter what meat you eat. It's the motive that you're eating it behind, behind it. If you take meat that hasn't been offered to idols, but in your mind you're eating meat as an offering to an idol, that's wrong. He said, but if you take meat not knowing that it was offered to an idol, not knowing that it was put into some kind of thing and you're just eating it because you're eating it, he said, there's nothing in your conscience that you're defiling. It's fine. It's okay. But the motive is everything. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 15. He goes on and he says this. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Now here's an interesting thing because Paul falls on a side of of something that I hear echoed in our culture and even within the realms of Christianity. And that is this, when God has given us Christian liberty, Nobody has a right to impose something on me. No, well, it's, it's, if it's okay for me to do it, then nobody has a right to tell me not to do that. Paul doesn't even address that part of it. He says this. He says, if your Christian liberty, now Paul has already qualified that it's okay to eat any meat. It's all about your motive. It's all about your conscience sake. Paul says, if your Christian liberty, your freedom to eat any kind of meat, is, what does he say? If it's an offense, if it grieves your brother, if you're doing something that is permissible by God, but you're doing it, you know it's going to cause grief to someone else in the fellowship. Paul says this. He says, destroy not him with thy meat. For whom Christ died. The New Living Translation puts it this way. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Now this truly gets at the heart of what it means to live in harmony. Harmony. Harmony is not something that just happens when we come to a prayer meeting, but harmony is something that we have to do consciously. There will be times in your life, if, if, not, you've, not, if you've not already experienced it, where there are things that God has given you freedom and liberty to do, but doing that, carrying that act, is going to cause a stumbling block and a hindrance to someone else. And Paul clearly says, don't do it. 
He says, don't ruin somebody else. Don't cause confusion in their mind. Don't bring a stumbling block. Don't be an offense. If somebody else is going to get hung up on that, he says, you're ruining somebody. You say, how can I ruin them? Well, if you come along as an anointed child of God, as one living with the blessings of the Lord, and somebody in their conscience, in their mind, has an understanding that I've got to do this. This is what is right. When you come along and you disregard it. They look at you and it causes confusion. And now they have not been challenged by the word of God, but by experience only. They have been challenged and tempted to do one of two things, to either reject you or reject their conscience. And neither one of them is right. If they reject you, they are rejecting a part of the body of Christ. And if they reject their conscience, they are rejecting the one thing that God has put inside of their heart and their being to lead them and to guide them. And Paul says that if you're not careful, you can ruin them. You can cause them to sway. There, there is this interesting principle here that Paul tells us or lets us know, and that's this, that I cannot use my Christian liberty without considering the effects that it's going to have on other people. I can't use my Christian liberty without considering what effect this has upon other people. Is it permissible to do? Well, sure, it may be permissible to do. God knows your motive. You know your motive. It's okay. But if somebody else, when you walk into a room, when you come into a household, when you come into a congregation, and you know that this is something that people have taken a stand on or a conviction on or something, don't allow your conviction to be bold and brash and disrespectful. But the Bible and Paul admonishes us to be careful, be careful not to press issues that stress others. That's number 17. Don't press issues that stress others. But pastor, it's my right. Preacher, it's my right. Isn't that, isn't that a cliche word that we hear today so much in our culture? It's our right. No, Paul says it's not your right. It's not your right to offend somebody else. What did he say? That Christ died for. That Christ loved. Christianity is not about your rights. Christianity is about being Christ-like. And if I remember, the portrait of that was a cross, not a throne. And we have to be careful what we force around other people. I'm not saying that, that, that you lose all of your Christian liberties. That's not what Paul is saying. Now, we do live in an interesting anomaly today. We live in a very interesting anomaly today because back in this day, the quickest way of communication across long distances was obviously through writing, and so he writes. And there was no modern communications that would speed things up, and so you were very conscious when you walked into a setting, when you went in there, you could feel things out, you could see, you could surmise, you could understand. Much of that is lost today. As our interactions globally, it's incredible. The people we talk to uh, on a weekly basis around the world, I'm communicating with on a weekly basis just in the church and ministries that are around the world in different time zones and, and calls and texts. And we're interacting with people and engaging with people and with social media. We have followings and people that tune in and connect and see that. And now you have people that, that maybe would, if I went to their house and I went to their place knowing that I, I would do a certain thing and I, I would be careful and cautious to offend, but now I'm at risk of offending somebody even on my own platform, uh, uh, in, in my own place, whether it's at my house or in my home, or whether I come to the church and I'm standing on this platform. I, I'm at risk at maybe doing something, but I still have to keep an awareness of that spirit and seek not to have a, a, a boldness in my heart that just 
disregards everybody else. I don't want to tear down what God is building up in other people. And that leads us to the next verse as we go down in chapter number 19 or or chapter 14, verse 19. He says, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. He says, follow after things which make for peace, which means that there are things which are not going to make for peace. There are certain things I know that are not going to make for peace, that are going to cause contention, that are going to cause division. Don't follow after those things. Don't seek to deal with those things, but follow after things that make for peace. The New Living Translation says it this way. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church. And he puts this here. He says, and try to build each other up. We may not agree on everything, but one thing that should be for certain is when we come together, when we engage, when we see one another, whether it's in person or whether it's virtual, it ought to be understood that it's in the spirit of building one another up. It's okay for us not to agree on everything in Scripture. I'm not talking about doctrinal things. I'm not talking about things, salvation. Everything is doctrine, I guess. Let me qualify that. Everything's in doctrine. But there are certain things that we we may have latitude over. We may may not understand everything. Uh, We had, uh, case in point, we had... uh, Evangelist uh, Craig Treadwell with us here. He, he's an a, a evangelist, does uh, last days prophecy, talks about things on the end times and stuff like that. We, we, we openly, he's my friend, he's our friend. And I knew him before I came here. And then what, what a blessing it is, him and his wife. And I know she's the Kessler's daughter and we love them so much. But we don't agree on everything. There are some things, and we're open about that. And I, and, and I said, hey, I, w- I want to do some videos with you while you're here. I want you to preach to church. I want you to just talk to the church. I said, but I said, I want you to do some videos on some things. And he said, are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm sure about that. And he said, well, I know, I know you don't think that. I said, no. I said, I'll, I want you to be able to share those things. Because even though we may not agree on everything, this is something uh, uh, on, on last days, we, we don't agree. Let me say this. We don't agree on the possible interpretation on everything. What we do agree agree on absolutely is the word of God is the word of God and God's in control. We do agree on all of that, but we, we may disagree on, well, maybe this could be that, and maybe that's going to be that and how that's going to work out and how, how all this stuff. Well, th- I'm going to tell you, that's not worth fighting over. It's okay. The important thing is the Lord is coming back and you and I better be ready. And if he can help win somebody and I can help win somebody, we're working together. But what are we doing? We ought to build one another up. You don't look at him and say, I, I wouldn't, how foolish would it be? I, I'd be in defiance of the word of God. If I came and said, well, you know, he thinks this and that's just crazy. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm finding one thing that I'm going to dismiss an entire person over, over one thing. I'm going to tell you, you know what I do know is he believes in the power of the Holy Ghost. He believes in the power of redemption and the power of, uh, uh, of deliverance. And God saved him from drugs and all of those things. That's the thing. I'm going to tell you, we can agree on that. And so Paul says here, let us have a spirit that builds one another up, builds one another up, not tear one another down. Amen. And the church said, amen. 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 We need this. We need this. We need this teaching. We need these principles more than ever before in the church at this day. And as that day approaches, as we see, as we see our world changing ever more, we're going to be dealing with issues like this in the church evermore. And can I tell you this? The ministry, the fellowship, the ministry needs to get a hold of this too. Preachers have got to stop tearing preachers down. Is that all right? Pastors have got to stop tearing other pastors down. This is not an, uh, this is not an ego contest. This is not a celebrity campaign. This is the kingdom of God. 
And I'm thankful. That's why we that's why we reach out here as a church, as a church ministry. We reach out to all of our oneness apostolic churches in this community and even beyond. Because, hey, we want to see the kingdom of God come. I want to see revival at CTK. But if we only see revival at CTK, we've fallen way short. I want to see revival on every apostolic church. And can I tell you, we want to see revival beyond the apostolic church. I want churches that don't even believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost to start being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because it's God's church and it's His kingdom and it's His spirit that blesses. Amen. So we've got to be careful when we just get this spirit and this attitude of tearing one another down. So let's aim for harmony. Verse 20. Let's go to the next verse. He says this, For meat destroy not the work of God. For meat destroy not the work of God. What is he saying? Don't destroy the work of God over meat. It's okay. Amen? So, I mean, right now, we wouldn't even deal with this. I'm trying to think of something. I don't know. You know, we're in St. Louis. Maybe if a Cubs fan came in and got saved. (sighs) It can happen. It can happen. You see how foolish that would be? How foolish? I mean, we're joking about this, but how foolish would that be? Say, you know, you're going to have to go to another church. How crazy would that be? He says, for me, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure. What's he saying? He's saying, look, all all things. But he says, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. If you're over there saying, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing. If it's a glaring a glaring thing. Now, I, I mentioned social media. You know, social media is this hard thing that we navigate. It's, it's, it's so unique. But I tell you, when you, when you do, th- motive is everything. And, and, and people can misinterpret anything. A text can be misinterpreted. A, a post can be misinterpreted. But you alone know the motive of your heart. You alone know the motive of your spirit. And if you say something or you do something or you post something hoping that somebody else will see it, then that might be a check where you ought to say, maybe I shouldn't do that. Because that's not, that's not what I should do. I should, not, I should not let this tear me apart. New Living Translation said it this way. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. Are you kidding me, Paul? You're telling me that I have to change my diet? And Paul says, yeah. Paul says, yeah, because this kingdom of God stuff can't be about me. It's got to be about others. And if you'll be if you'll be careful not to offend and others will be careful not to be offended. You see, that's another side of it, too. We've got to be careful that we're not offended. Oh, look at them. Oh, my goodness. And be offended over everything. Lord, help. we got to pray for one another. So what is 19? 19 is don't let an issue tear you apart. Now, Paul didn't say sin because sin separates. He didn't say sin. He said an issue tear you apart. God is not the author of confusion. And sometimes when we don't have understanding or clarity on that, I don't know where I stand on that or I, because there's a lot to the Bible. I'm, I'm still learning things today. Last night at prayer meeting, I opened up Psalm 51. And I, my, my personal time praying was Psalm 51. I, I can take you to the place and the time. I was 14 years old and somebody told me, they, they said, Andrew, have you ever prayed the Psalms? And I said, I said, well, well, yeah, of course. I didn't want to say no. And they said, no, I mean like open up a chapter and you read through and you read that verse and then you pray. Maybe even just a part of that verse and you pray it and you let that absorb and, and you really, and then you go on to the next part and you pray through the whole verse. I said, no, I've never done that. And they said, go to Psalm 51 and pray Psalm 51. And I got a hold of Psalm 51 at, at a four, as a 14-year-old young man, 14, I'm now 40, I have prayed that psalm more than any other passage of Scripture. Probably even more, at least as much, I would say, as the Lord's Prayer. Because I followed that model. And last night I opened up Psalm 51. And would you know that I saw things for the very first time? 
in a chapter that I've read thousands of times. I used to be able to quote it the entire thing through. I probably could still do it today, but I'd probably miss a few words. But I still saw something new in there. Don't let an issue tear you apart because there may be something that you've yet to learn. And the issue may divide you from the, separate you from the body of Christ. And later on, years down the road, God's going to show you something. And all of a sudden, oh, wow. Let me tell you, it's a hard pill to swallow when I've seen people and churches and ministries and ministers separate over an issue that years later down the road, they, they agree together on. Man, you lost all of that time, all of that effort. What could have been accomplished if you just would have been supporting one another? What could have been accomplished if you just would have been on the same side? Don't, don't be quick to offend. Don't be quick to be, be offended. Don't let an issue tear you apart. Let's go to chapter 15 and verse 1, and he goes on down, and he says, We then that are strong. Who's the strong ones in this analogy? Those that know that you can eat anything? He said, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. This is what gets us in trouble. It's the pleasing ourselves that gets us in trouble. When everything is about me, that's where I'm going to make a mistake. So here in point number 20, consider others' convictions over your pleasure. Consider others' convictions over your pleasure. It is selfish and it is prideful to disregard others' convictions. Somebody may have a conviction that you think is foolish. Oh, how, how, how crazy is that? Imagine all the meat eaters back in those days thinking, man, they're missing out on this great. I want to have you over to my house, but I can't cook this. They didn't, you didn't go over to somebody and say, hey, I want to have you over to my house, but I know I can't cook this. They weren't going to offend them by that. No, they, they considered others' convictions over their pleasure. Hey, we want to have you to fellowship. What can you eat? What, what, what's, what can I do for you? And they laid aside something so that they could achieve a greater part of fellowship and then they could go back to something else. Can I tell you, is it really worth it? How much human and earthly pleasure is that giving you that you could miss out on the spiritual blessings that God has by you setting it aside? The New Living Translation says, he, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must, just, we must not just please ourselves. I'm closing with this. Verse, verse 2, let's go on. He says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. The New Living says it this way. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. What does he mean by that when he says help others do what is right? Well, to do what is right. Now, if it's not right in their eyes to do something, don't help them do what is not right in their eyes. Help them do what is right in their eyes. Help them do what is right and build them up in the Lord. So number 21 is this. When right is relative, help them out. When right is relative, help them out. If they're saying you've got to observe Sabbath and their household of faith says we've got to meet on the Sabbath, don't make a point. Go there and worship God. Go there, open up the word. Go there, preach. Lay hands on the sick. See them filled with the Holy Ghost. See them baptized. Go When right is relative, help them out. Go along. Let it do. Let, let the word of God and let the spirit of God lead them and guide them into all truth. Now, there's times where Paul stands up rather strongly, and he goes against. In fact, Paul and Peter had a confrontation so great, and the confrontation was when Peter was not standing up, and he was trying to impose something. Paul's not saying that you should not be able to discuss things and deal with things. Sometimes you've got to deal with those things. 
but they both came back in harmony and both of them in their epistles, after they had a great confrontation that the entire church saw, they both endorse one another. Paul and Peter, had, the Bible says in Acts, Luke right. he said, I withstood him to his face. That was pretty strong language. That means we were at each other. We were standoff. We were going to town on what the Word of God meant. And he said, I, had, I felt like I had to contend for this. It was over the, it was over the, the, uh, uh, the ceremonial rite of circumcision. And, and, and they were standing up with that. And when Peter went in to a room, he refused to sit with the Gentile Christians. He was putting them on a par, lower them. And Paul says, no, 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 you cannot do that. You cannot go in and marginalize somebody. You know yourself. You don't even believe. You don't even believe that circumcision is necessary in, in the spiritual believer of the New Testament church. And yet you're walking in and, and you're doing it for those that you're associated with. And he withstood them. But later on, you know what they did? Later on, Paul endorses Peter's ministry. He said his ministry is great. He talks about that in Peter's epistle. He writes to the church and he says, you be care, you be sure, you take care to get a hold of what Paul's been writing and what Paul's been preaching. And you go and you follow after that because it's good. They endorse one another and they let the church know we can have differences and we can make mistakes, but we can still be one. We can still be together. We can still come together. We have a lot of at each other. We don't have a lot of endorsing one another. And that's what we've got to have. When right is relative, help them out. And finally, we come to the very last one. Point 22 in chapter 16 and verse 17. And this is perhaps the hardest part of harmony. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them, which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Mark them, and avoid them. He says, listen, sometimes there's things that are worth going toe-to-toe -to -toe about. Sometimes there's doctrinal issues that you've got to stand up. You've got to contend for the faith. There are things that are absolute. If somebody's coming to you and they're changing the doctrine of baptism that was given by Jesus Christ and practiced by the New Testament church, that's a point to say, you know what, hey, maybe we're missing something here. If somebody's coming to you and telling you that the Holy Ghost is not for us today, that, it, that it's just something that was done away with. No, stand on the Word of God. They're misinformed. And if they're causing division over it, don't let there be a division caused. If you know the story of the Oneness Movement and G.T. Haywood, Bishop G.T. Haywood, and you know the early story, there was a group of people, they received the revelation of the mighty God in Christ Jesus. They received the revelation of Jesus' name, baptism, and they were a part of a certain fellowship. And in, within that fellowship, there were people that did not yet believe it. And so there were preachers, many, many preachers, Bishop G.T. Haywood, there was many others. I... I, I well, there was a whole lot of others. And the interesting characteristic I find as you study church history and Pentecostal history, interesting, this is really interesting. Sister Sullivan, you, you know your grandparents, and I'm trying to think of the man's name that went to Salem. Parrish, Brother Parrish, thank you. He was one of those early pioneers that was a oneness preacher. And the effects of Azusa Street and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And when they, when they went around preaching, the interesting thing about that movement was they had the oneness of God. They had Jesus' name baptism. They were preaching the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They were preaching all of these things, but they did not separate from the fellowship they were a part of. It's an interesting thing. They did not walk out until a general assembly came together. And in that general assembly, they, good, they stood up. And they made direct statements. Those statements, for those of you who know, Bishop G.T. Haywood was the son of two North Carolina slaves, pastor in Indianapolis, Indiana, my hometown. And so he was a black man. And this is in the 1916. 
And in that conference, they made, they made fun, they made mockery of those men and women that were baptizing in Jesus' name, those men and women that were preaching the oneness of God. They made fun and they made mockery, even issued racial things in that statement. And on that day, it they were not seeking to divide. The spirit of those people were not seeking to divide. But on that day, they realized we have no, we have no more voice here. We have no, they're, they're separate, they're drawing the line. And Bishop Haywood got up with 60, I think it was 60 some other men that day, and he walked out. And he said, okay. And so they went and they started uh, another organization. There are many organizations that started from that. And uh, the GAAA, I can't remember what that actually stood for. Two years later, it turned into the Pentecostals Assemblies of the World. And, but the interesting thing about that was that their spirit, when they got a hold of it, their spirit was not division, their spirit was unity. And all of a sudden they realize we're walking different roads. We're going to have to separate. But here's what, here's what Romans says. Paul says this. He says, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. The New Living Translation says this. And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause division divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Harmony, the hardest part of harmony, and all these other things, the hardest part of harmony sometimes is when you have to learn that you can't play along with the bad notes. You can't play along with bad notes. When you're a musician, when you're in band, when you're in anything and you're, you're playing together, you're harmonizing. When you're singing, you're harmonizing. If somebody's off, you can't harmonize with off. <laughs> Paul's saying when somebody's spirit is off, you can't harmonize with that. And you've got to let yourself be separated from them. Now, they may be right. They may be saved. They may be, they may be baptized in Jesus' name. They may be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But if they are seeking to cause division, their spirit is not right. What did Paul say? He said, look at this. Uh, in chapter 14, he said, For the kingdom of God, in verse 16, chapter 14 to 16, Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, what is it? But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We need harmony. And our world, I'm, I'm here to tell you, our world will not achieve harmony. Because you cannot achieve harmony outside of the love of Jesus Christ. But we need harmony within the body of Christ. And God has a plan for community. You can live at peace. Not only within the church, but you can live at peace without the church. In Jesus' name. Stand together with me tonight. <coughs> Thank you for being here. Do you love the Lord? Yeah. I love the Lord. And I don't know about you, but if these 22 things never stepped on your toes, then you're just not being open. Because this convicts me. This speaks to my heart. This speaks to my soul. This challenges me. This challenges my heart. And what gets me the most is when he says, do it because that person is someone that Christ died for. Don't seek your own. Don't seek your own pleasure. Don't seek your own status. Do it for somebody else. Have love for somebody else. We're praying this week, search my heart. One thing we've got to say is we've got to say, Lord, don't let this be about me. But God, search my heart. Let not only my service in the kingdom of God not be selfish. Let my worship not be selfish. Let my private life not be selfish. Let everything I do be for your glory and for your kingdom. Let me win a soul. Let me build someone else up. When I come into the house, I want people to be excited to see me. Amen. Because they know I'm coming with the spirit of encouragement. I want to build somebody else. When somebody else hasn't made the right choices and made mistakes and they're, they're wondering whether or not they ought to be here when I come around my spirit. Let me be an encouragement to them.
that they can make it. You may have missed the will of God, but you haven't missed his grace. You haven't missed his long suffering and you haven't missed his love. Would you lift your hands toward heaven tonight? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. God, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your love and your grace that reaches down and saves each one of us. Thank you for changing us and transforming us. I thank you for the miracle of every testimony that's in this house tonight. And I pray, God, that we would endeavor to be you like you, be Christ-like in everything we do. God, I don't want to offend. I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to be a cause for someone else, God, going against their conscience and convictions. And Lord, don't let me be easily offended. But God, let me be an encourager. Let me be one that builds up. Lord, let me be a part of the kingdom of God for the purpose of revival. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord praise and glory?